was a code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Personal mail 
shared between the founders of these foundations. They were all eugenicists. A religion that did not start with Charles Darwin. He was simply someone that was put up front to legitimize a new, a new religion, really, which was, in, in fact, a disguised, very ancient religion. And Darwin talked about the survival of the fittest among species. During the same period, the rise of a, a higher middle class was on the go because of the Industrial Revolution, and these are the ones who championed eugenics. I think the music's coming in, so I'll be back with more after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, trying to point out that everything that's happened in the last 50 years, especially at an accelerating pace, in fact, has turned society upside down with new norms, and that's the key to it. New norms all leading towards an actually pre-planned agenda, the culmination of a lot of planning planning to create new types of humanity to serve a small elite all the more efficiently. And part of it was to destroy all that was old, all that had been, and that was family, the family unit, man, wife, and all that kind of stuff, their children, etc. That had to be destroyed totally, and eventually people had to also cast off all the old religions, because the old religions regardless of the fact they've been used by elites all down through the ages, still tended to give a lip service towards the poor and the sick and the weak, etc. And that was the goal, because when they brought the Darwinist theory to the, to the surface, uh, they claimed that the unfit, the weak, uh, the, the homeless even, those who couldn't work, uh, the poor, the extra poor, they claimed even then that this was a hereditary disease. We mustn't forget this. This has never changed in the theory at the top. That you inherit poverty, not just by your circumstances, but we believe, truly believe, that it's in your genes. And therefore, they claim, although they can better the race, as they put it, by conditioning, social conditioning, and improving your standard of living, the fact is, because you have recessive genes still that lead back there, that they'll come to the surface in the next generation and they get throwbacks. So in other words, they're terrified that the upper elite, who, they, who truly believe that they are further evolved, they are a new species, they really truly believe this. They believe that if they intermarry with the lower types, then the lower will drag them all down because the lower they claim always predominates in genetics. And this is a great fear. This was propounded by Charles Galton Darwin in his book, The Next Million Years. It's never changed the same theory. So their whole strategy today is not to help the world. That's all a front to bring us into this new system where we allow ourselves to be herded and managed from cradle to grave all the more efficiently as they bring down the populations of the world. 
How many people know, for instance, since the 1900, every census that was taken carried a 11-digit number for you, and that had your medical history in it, because because we're doing this all that time ago, comparing your medical data to see if you had inferior genes, etc., comparing it to your work histories, education, IQ levels, and all the rest of it. This has been done covertly, and yet with not just the acceptance of the U.S. Congress, for instance, that that helped fund the Carnegie Foundation into this particular project. It's been done across the world, the Western world, by the big countries, and all the British Commonwealth countries too. And now that's why they've gone for the push, the final push for collection of everyone's DNA. And through that they claim they'll see who has inferior genes. The genes will cause throwbacks in the future, and those people eventually, they hope, will accept sterilization. If they won't accept it, it'll be done in any way, one way or another, openly or very quietly, through means you never even think of. This is the real world that we live in. It's run by deceit. And the shepherd must train the domesticated animals to love him. And the domesticated animals must believe that their future benefit lies in the same direction as the shepherd. That's the trick of the shepherd. But it's a completely different agenda on the go. I've always blamed, as I say, inferior types from, from different countries. This is started off, at least in the 1800s, primarily as a Germanic Anglo association, Anglo-Saxon type association. Eventually they brought others into it from other countries who had achieved dominance over the people in those countries for a few generations. But they're going to create racial tension create a massive strife across the world with food strategies, with disease and all the rest of it, and let all the different cultures go at, at each other, which they will, and they'll be stirred up to do so. And then they'll come forward gradually with the solution, because these guys at the top have all the time in the world. They work intergenerationally. That's how it's pulled off. And Professor Carl Quigley put this very plainly and he said a foundation can start up with a particular agenda in mind, put it in print, hire, train, and use employees while recruiting more from the next and the next and the next generation. And even if it's 150 years later, they can pull off the final goal they planned at the beginning. That's how it works in the big foundations and institutions. And that's why the, the Joe Average can't imagine it, because he or she cannot believe that there's something that could be planned such a long time ago and pulled off. They personally would lose interest. That's how we are as human beings. Our lifespans are very short. We are short-term planners. And we often go for something and change our minds. But when it's a, a job, like a business, the mandate is different. And they can pull it off, even if it takes 100, 200, 300 years. The Department of Defense and the big think tank that works for the Department of Defense disclosed 
their 90-page agenda for the next 30 years with riots and so on across the Western world, they knew what's coming because it's been set up this way. It's a big chessboard. And the one thing the shepherd must always have is the compliance of the sheep. You must believe everything is evolving the way it is presented to us on mainstream television, mainstream news. And the people are simply dealing with the problems as they arise. And yet, as I say, this was planned a long time ago. Here's an article from the Washington Post by Joby Warwick, May the 1st, 2008. Page A15, it says, Swelling populations and a global tide of immigration will present new security challenges for the United States by straining resources and stroking extremism and civil unrest in distant corners of the globe. CIA Director Michael V. Hayden said in a speech yesterday, The population surge could undermine the stability of some of the world's most fragile states, especially in Africa. Well, in the West, governments will be forced to grapple with ever-larger immigrant communities and deepening divisions over ethnicity and race, Aiden says. So he's, he's playing his part here. This is how it's to be presented to the public. And so this was fact. Now, we know for a fact that in the Western Hemisphere, the populations of the domestic people in those countries have been dropping. And that's what a little bit of wealth brings. You have one child to the maximum. If you have two children per two adults, you have a stable population. If you have one child per family, you actually lower your population. For instance, if China's population policy is in effect, which it's supposed to be, in a few years, they should be half the, popula- the present population by using drone statistics. So what's happening? What's happening is they're, they're opening the floodgates of the world to the Western Hemisphere to give the impression that the whole world is just over vastly overpopulated. They haven't been building the houses to accommodate people for many, many years, since the 50s and 60s, in fact, when they created the green belts and stopped what they called urban sprawl. And they only allowed rebuilding to go on where present buildings had already existed. So you have overcrowding and the appearance of overcrowding. This is how it was planned. They go on with Mr. Hayden's speech here. It says, he says, Hayden speaking at Kansas State University described the projected 33% growth in global population over the next 40 years. Now, they've been using statistics, fake statistics, since the days of Francis Galton. And even before that, Thomas Malthus, they always use graphs and charts, which are completely out of whack and, and never, ever come to what they say they're going to come to in 30 or 40 years. So he's saying that 33% growth in global population over the next 40 years is one of the three significant trends that will alter the security landscape in the current century. Now remember, too, the UN gives us our statistics every year, and they've been telling us for the last few years but the Western male is down 75% of his sperm count from what it was in 1950. So how come uh, the population is going to explode over the next 40 years? This is all nonsense because eventually they're going to give you solutions to what you will perceive. And that's what the important part you will perceive as problems. 
By 2050, the number of humans on Earth is expected to rise from 6.7 billion to more than 9 billion, he said. Most of that growth will occur in countries least able to sustain it, a situation that will likely fuel instability and extremism both in those countries and beyond, Hayden said. The population of countries such as Niger and Liberia projected to triple in size in 40 years. Regional governments will be forced to rapidly find food, shelter and jobs for millions. Now this is again falling hand in glove with the United Nations that is pushing now the top to become the master of the food supply of the world. It all ties together. And I can hear the music coming in, so I'll continue with this particular topic after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, being from an article in the Washington Post from the CIA director who's been talking about the coming strife that has been planned for an awful long time and he will give you solutions once we've had enough of it. He said, was on to say, European countries, many of which already have large immigrant communities, will see particular growth in their Muslim populations the number of non-Muslims will shrink as birth rates fall. Social integration of immigrants will pose a significant challenge to many host nations, again boosting a potential for unrest and extremism, Hayden said. The CIA director also predicted a widening gulf between Europe and North America on how to deal with security threats, including terrorism. What a fast as terrorism is. While U.S. and European officials agree on the urgency of the terrorism threat, there's a fundamental difference, a transatlantic divide over the solution, he said. While the U.S. sees the fight against terrorism as a global war, European nations perceive the terrorist threat as a law enforcement problem, he said. Well, that's typically from London. They would, they would call it that, law enforcement problem. They tend not to view terrorism as we do, as an overwhelming international challenge, or if they do, we often differ on what would be effective and appropriate to counter it, he even said. He had added that he could not predict when or if the two sides could forge a common approach to security. Now here's a big interesting part here. A third security trend highlighted by Hayden was the emergence of China as a global economic and military powerhouse pursuing its narrow strategic and political interests. But Hayden said China's increasing prominence did not be perceived as a direct challenge to the United States. If Beijing begins to accept, now listen to the wording, if Beijing begins to accept greater responsibility for the health of the international system, as all global powers should, he will remain on a constructive, even if competitive, path, he said, if not the rise of China begins to look more adversarial. So if Beijing begins to accept greater responsibility for the health of the international system, that goes back to statements made in the 1920s and 30s by professors who were well-known at the time, like Arnold Toynbee, when he mentioned the fact that the U.S. would stay as a policeman of the world for a while, but towards the end of the millennium and into the new, China would be brought up to power, and one day they would take over as a policeman of the world. Remember that China in its present state 
was funded by the West, the same as the Soviet Union was. Big banks of the Western world, with the cooperation of the real governments of the world, ones above the ones you elect, created the Soviet system, and they created China. Why China? Because China, in China they didn't have the same kinds of religions that would be hard to get rid of. They could, they could create a more atheistic society very quickly, and that was very important if they were one day to be created to be a world leader. They say all existing religion is to be destroyed, to bring in the new. They, couldn't, they don't want the Muslims because the Muslims have a very old religion with specific tenets that they hold on to with a lot of belief and it's family oriented in China everyone accepts the government as it is as a big power monger they're far more apt to go into the, the, the mass man phase working for the good of the state as they call it at the top and that falls right in line but with the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which was from its very foundation has said that we're going to create a world where service to the system or the state would be your only function in life, your prime function in life. So here's the CIA director talking about China and pretty well hinting that they will take over as the policemen of the world if Beijing begins to accept greater responsibility for the health of the international system. What is the international system? Who voted the international system into power? Well, none of us did. It just sort of appeared that way. And it's repeated over and over and over, just like the United Nations has been repeated over and over and over, another non-democratic institution. This was all set up, as I say, a long time ago, and it's talked about in the 1800s, and even the foundations were set up back then. The Soviet Union has been well documented regarding its history and the funding that got from the Western powers. There were even banks in New York uh, that were caught giving millions of dollars to the Soviet system to have the Bolshevik Revolution take over from the Socialist Revolution that preceded it. They caught Trotsky in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on his way over with suitcases full of cash. That's documented in Canadian history. He was let go because the President of the United States had a passport printed and rushed up express courier for Trotsky as a U.S. citizen, so he could be better of detention, carry on with his, his duty. The Soviet system was a big test bed. A test bed, a big laboratory without any interference, where all of the sciences that have been dreamed of by these characters down through the ages were allowed into play, with no hindrance and no religions to stop them. And they've learned a lot since then. This is to be used on the whole world, the collectivist system. I put more after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
high folks are almost back cutting through the matrix. And what a matrix it is, because as I say, when you understand what is happening, and all these little unrelated stories that come out at the same time, seemingly unrelated, all go along a particular route. Even in the film industry and the movies are making about pushing the envelope now towards different kinds of sexual attitudes, and even hermaphroditic films are coming out shortly to identify with because it's a bit of male and a bit of female in there and everyone will identify with these characters and all feel sorry for them and you only see these kind of characters appearing with purposely designed ones not mistakes of nature but aberrations with purposely designed ones because that's the future the future types of slaves that will come and there's men alive today who will see this come into to be not, not in, this, in the too distant future either now we'll go to we've got Vernon in New Hampshire. Are you there, Vernon? Vernon? Hello? Hello? No, Vernon. Hello, oh. are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was listening to you right um, tonight, though. Um, you, I mean, you're doing a, a pretty much great job. You just, you're talking about, like, ancient knowledge. You know yourself. I know myself. We know who we are. And what you're talking about, it, it is... I'm not trying to put you down. It's so boring. It's so obvious. It's so boring. We, we know the agenda. We know what's going on. It's like, I mean, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you're a fellow incarnate, and you know what's going on. So yeah. all I got to say is just, you know, keep up the good work and help those who need to need to get help. And it's just obvious. There's no need to, like, know. you know, go out of your way. I know. It is obvious. It is The obvious, more you study it. Yeah, I know, I know. It's so boring. It should be it's obvious right to everyone. Yeah, it's right in our face, though. It is, it is. You could decode the matrix the right trick, there though. in front of your eyes. Here's the, here's the key to it, though. Mm -hmm. uh, most folk think it doesn't concern them. They think they're doing well. They don't realize yeah. they're, they're also slated for extinction mm -hmm. because there's no need for them either. As you're they don't know that. Yeah, they don't know. Yeah, yeah well, so all I'm saying is that, you know, I just want to, um, like, you know, uplift you, and I know you know where you are. I know who I'm, at, who I'm, who I am, and it's, you know, it's like a, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's, it's like, right, like child's play, like grade school, grade school, yeah. It is. It's a, a big play on a stage. Uh, yeah, it's just like a play, it's just like a play, right? A child's school play. It's nothing to yeah. it, though. It's right in your face and. It's obvious, mm -hmm. so those who don't understand yeah. it, it's like I don't even understand why, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. they're on a planet with us, but it's like they're on a different, like they, uh, only, it's like... Well, they do believe. They yeah. do believe they are a, a different species. They truly do. They believe yeah. they have evolved. They, they really have evolved, and they are a higher species, and they, and they write about this, and, and that comes from their own words, yeah. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I felt something deeper before, like before I came to this, I mean, before I was born into this world. It's like I knew all this stuff, not when I was born, but like early in my life. It's like I grew up like, it's like, you know, it's not nothing like so complicated. It's like so easy to understand. It comes naturally, though. Yeah. It's like a natural understanding of what's going on. And I don't know how some people, it, it feel, it's like so hard for them to see, understand that they're living in an unnatural world, though. Yeah, yeah. So well, I just thanks wanna, for calling. Yeah, I just want to, like, you know, uplift you and say that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now and then keep it up. I appreciate and that. I'm with you all the way, though. 
You take care. Uh, go to Keith in Dallas Studio. Keith. Good evening, Dr. White. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Um, first of all, great show as usual. And I, I just wanted to comment, first of all, before I get to what I originally called about, poverty in your genes. That, I mean, that's the elite for you. First, you know, they, mm -hmm. they break your legs, and then they give you crutches, and then they tell you, see, we told you that you needed us. I mean, I'm just floored by what you just said. And then as far as uh, overpopulation, I've been telling people for so long that that is such a con like everything else. I mean, you can place all six billion of us in Texas, and everyone will have like about a thousand feet. And mm -hmm. it's just, I'm just so sick of it. But I know, anyway. it, it really is. It's amazing how they pull these statistics out. As I say, uh, the first guy to do it, was Thomas Malthus, and all his statistics and graphs have been thrown in the trash since. But it, it doesn't stop the next one using the same technique and, and drawing up a new graph with projections and, and nonsense like this. And it's, it's all to hype the public into, re, into believing that something has to be done. That's the whole point of the exercise. Yeah. Dr. John D. must have really, really, really loved Plato. Oh, um, he did. And the thing is, too, when we set up the Carnegie Institute to the department at Cold Springs Harbor for, they called it the Station for Experimental Evolution. And that's where a lot of this stuff came from. They believed they could breed up the higher race and gradually exterminate, and this is their words, gradually exterminate the lower classes and the races. Incredible. That was funded by the U.S. Congress and the Institute itself. American tax dollars, it works. Your hard tax yeah. dollars. Um, yeah. Dr. Watt, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to know if you could speak to the Gamal tablets for me, please. I, uh, I was told to read them a hundred times, right? Uh, of course, I haven't got that far yet. But they do seem quite interesting. I mean, they, they definitely lead one to believe that at least Atlantis could have existed, and, or they lead one to question whether the flower of life is the same thing as the tree of life in the Kabbalah. I mean, mm -hmm. I totally agree with Thoth's statement that magic is knowledge and only is science. Um, they also lead one to believe that Khufu did not build the pyramids in 2500 B.C., but that Thoth mm -hmm. did. Now, um, how can that happen if thought represents thought? And I mean, it's yeah, I know, I know, but um, yeah, it's just a lot of allegory. There's a lot of allegory involved in all of this stuff. And even Atlantis, remember what? Um, it's those who hold up the pillars of the world, the reality that they give the public. So there's a lot of allegories involved. And, and Khufu, again. Um, uh, simply laid a plaque there. They, they commonly did that uh, generation after generation. A pharaoh would dedicate a plaque to the builders, and years later they think it was him that actually built it, even though some, some archaeologists say they could be 10,000 years old. But there's even older ones than that across the world uh, being uncovered, even, even in North America here. Um, You'll you find that with America BC, a fantastic book to read um, by a, a Harvard professor. Uh, and they, they uncovered some in Algonquin Park, and then the government came in and, put, and fenced it all off. So uh, these, these characters have been around for an awful long time down through the ages, bringing a system with them. And America was never lost, and never lost. Uh, they've, they've found so many 
um, artifacts from the ancient world, especially on the eastern seaboard, and writings from the Phoenicians and so on, chiseled in stone, even graves, uh, that it cannot be denied that America was never lost. And we know that Columbus did marry the daughter of the top mason uh, of the day for Spain, and he was given the maps and, and where to go, and he went right to where the gold was. They, they simply let the, uh, the Aztecs and the Incas collect it for a few centuries and they went in and, uh, and, and took it. So it was, it was planned this way. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like Fort Knox. I was, I was having a conversation with someone about Fort Knox, and I was telling them, you know, most of that gold's already gone. It's yeah, not well, it's Fort Knox anymore. I mean, you know, let's just call them, you know, shadowy European speculators, you know. Well, you, you anyway. saw, I don't know if you saw the documentary done by the guys who found the Titanic, and they, no. they were following the, the sea route, the World War II sea routes uh, for, for American shipping, and it was, they hit Greenland and they went on. To, to the Soviet Union, they supplied the Soviet Union with arms and so on. But what they really su- were also supplying them with was gold bars. And it's never been explained why all these sunken ships that they've found, I mean, they've managed to find a lot of the gold and, and uh, collect it. Why on earth the U.S. was sending this to the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was never on the gold standard? So you know where your gold from Fort Knox went to? It, it, was, it disappeared to the Soviet Union during World War Two. Amazing. Well, I know on 9-12-2001, some of the uh, Bin Laden family was paid in gold bars as well because, you know, they were the only ones still allowed to fly that day. That's it's right. Amazing. That's right. Incredible. And, of course, you, the, the, guys, the guys who rebuilt the trade centers after the first bombing uh, happened to the Bin Laden at the Bush Consortium. They have a consortium, and they built, they built bomb-proof shelters across the world. And on the day of the bombing, the last bombing, that is, on 9-11, uh, George Bush Sr. was having a business meeting with the, the Ben Laden family. That was on the CBC News here in Canada. Wow. I mean, you couldn't beam this stuff up. You could not right. beam this stuff up in a, uh, in a novel. And, yeah, that is exactly right. You can't make this stuff up. And, you know, someone told me, oh, you're just an angry black guy. And that's, that is the last, I'm telling you, just... Most people who tell me that, I'm like, that's someone who's, you know, that's like someone who says, oh, you just blame everything that happens. Well, God wanted it that way. That's someone who has no argument at all, no knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Water. It was great talking to you again. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you, 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 honestly, you, you could not make this stuff up. Uh, here's the, here's the, uh, the guy who's the ex-president of the United States, an ex-CIA director, too, at one time, having a meeting with the supposed family whose son blows up the World Trade Center. I mean, you couldn't dream that up. What's the odds of that happening out of these billions of people supposedly on the planet? It's impossible. Impossible. And we've got Mark from California. Are you there, Mark? Hello, Mark. Yes, can you hear me, Alan? Yes, go ahead. Oh, Alan, can you explain the, the real meaning and nature of Zionism and maybe tie that in with the creation of Israel, kind of like what the meaning behind all that is? Uh, there's a lot of occultic stuff. I was reading an article recently by an ex-Knesset member of Israel who says quite openly that uh, the, the ancient Israel is a fiction that archaeologists have tried and tried, but they cannot find any relics or a trace of an ancient Israel people. They find the people in Jerusalem, but... Um, 
not a not a 12 tribe ancient Israel. And and after all the records they found from ancient Persia and Assyria, and uh, Babylon and also Egypt, and lots of records have been found. Uh, they have no mention of, of uh, an Israel people. And, and so, but he said that this myth has served as well. And it, it, it is, it's been a cohesive people. It's given them a vast, rich culture that bonds them tight towards a common cause. He didn't elaborate on the cause, but, but there's no doubt about it. There's different meanings of Zionism. Now, Einstein, in most of his, his talks, um, he did not talk about science. He talked about politics. And he always made the statement, I am a Zionist. Now, Israel was already established when he said this. He wasn't referring to Israel as a place. He was talking about a world society. Again, it ties in on the higher level of Zionism, unknown to the common Jew even, the higher level of Zionism is to be a world under law. And they're talking about scientific law. And again, we're into the same eugenics uh, program that I've been talking about earlier. Okay, in the top, the elite aristocracy of every people are now in, in one big club on this goal. And they use different codes for it. The greater society, um, then the great leap forward. Um, all of these terms uh, are all the same thing, the same meaning really. It's a, a world where where... It will be, everything will be planned and directed and created for a purpose, including humanity itself. And there is a tie with Zionism to British Israelism, right? Uh, British Israel was given uh, the charter to exist. Remember, British Israel is also the World Federalist Association. It's one and the same association. So its goal under, under the British Israel Association, which was pushed by the British Crown, because they wanted the people to believe worldwide, that, that if you believe you've got a religion to back you and your superiority, then you'll, you'll do it with more force. You, you'll work hard with more force to, to create a world society. So, so the crown definitely backed the whole idea of British Israel to take over the world and create the, the world commonwealth. And is there any tie? I heard you mention in a previous show, uh, maybe a little while back, talking about a new Middle East empire that can come out of this. And do you look at them shelling America in a move to this new Middle East empire? I am pretty sure they will go to another elite will move. They're already moving, actually. They're building cities even in China. And they're ultra-modern solely for Western people and bureaucrats and, and business leaders. And they're moving in, and they have been for the last few years. But Dubai, for instance, and the Middle East um, will be set up, too, with its ultra-modern ultra cities, the most advanced cities, because they, they're going to create the tensions back in America, uh, and they don't want to be around uh, when the, all hell uh, breaks loose. Wow. One last thing. Maybe a little comment about the significance of the number 9-11. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it's a whole... I could, I could go on about 9-11 for for ages, uh, according to different numbers, but uh, what are the meanings of them? But um, uh, I've done this before in previous shows with 9-11, including the whole birth of a new creation uh, on 9-11. It's the Ides of September. It falls into the Ides of September, where, where the goddess is born out of the head of Zeus by her own free will. She willed herself into existence, meaning... This is a system coming into into place, which which could, could not have uh, come by nature. It was created uh, by pure willpower, 
by the efforts of people involved. That's why they, that they chose 9-11. Thanks so much, Alan. And thanks for calling. And we have Rick from California. Uh, are you there, Rick? Yes, hi, Alan. Can you hear me? Oh, hello. Yes. You can hear me okay? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make a comment on something, and this is about um, Africa. Um, you know, I noticed that when, when, when we watch, uh, you know, uh, the TV programs and the, think, the European think tanks and stuff would have us believe that Africa is like this really crowded cesspool and, you know, with, yeah. with lots of children. But, but I've been to Africa twice in 2002 and, and seven in two different countries. And one thing I noticed, it's, it's almost scary. Um, the land is just completely empty. There's like almost nobody yeah. on the land. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, all the people are crowded into the cities. And the reason why there's lots of children, they always show you lots of children uh, to kind of convey this psychological message that they're breeding, you know, out of out of. But the I know, I know. They do, they, do the same, they do the same with India. India yeah. has thousands of miles of jungle, but they always show you the same couple of streets in Bombay. Yeah. Well, the reason yeah. why there's so many children is because the parents have died because of the diseases that the you know the the bioengineered viruses they released, you know, AIDS and all that. Yes. And yeah. and um. And another thing I've noticed too is, see, I'm an artist, and I I paint, uh, you know, really really dark skinned black women because I feel, and I tell this to people, friends of mine who are black, I say the best thing you can do is breed, and and select for for darker people, not not because one race is superior to another, but because I want a future where where you know it's diversity. You know, they seem to be getting rid of the darkest people, and and yeah. they seem they seem to be glorifying. Can I, can I stay on the line till through the interview? Yeah, yeah, I'll hold you over. Okay. Back after these following messages. Hi, folks. Alan, we're back cutting through the matrix with Rick from California on the line there. And uh, would you want to continue, Rick? Oh, yeah. Um, well, what I notice is because um, when I go to the store to buy my, you know, the, like the foreign affairs magazine ac across on the other aisle, there's all these, like, uh, rap magazines like um, uh, Black Men's Swimsuit and, and The Source and these different magazines. And I notice that they, a lot of them tend to promote um, lighter-skinned black women with, with, with blonde hair. And I, I call it the Brahminization. You know, that's what I, I, I that's the term I came up with, where they, where they try to, they're trying to create this culture where they're trying to get people to select for lighter and lighter skin so that the darker yeah. people disappear. And, and, you know, what I've learned from, because I've studied ecology, and what they have learned is that more genetic diversity is always better than less than genetic diversity. We're finding that in everything, even with the crops. We've been with darn well that with the, the modified crops. They're all one particular new strain, so they're wide open to one disease killing them all off. Yeah, and, and so it's true that if you hybridize anything, and this is the key to it, you're right enough, it's hybridization. Um, the key, uh, once you get into hybridization, all the problems come out, and you're more, more prone to, to physical problems and other kinds of problems, too. Uh, and I guess one last thing I wanted to ask you, and thank you very much, uh, and I just wanted to ask you, can you go into the esoteric meanings of like uh, of the Holy Mountain, Monsanto, and Roundup? And, yeah, and, and, and yeah what, I, did holy... that, I did that years ago, in fact, I could do it again. Mm -hmm. And it's been a blurb, in fact, and explain some of these meanings. And ADM is Archer Daniels Mid Midland, it's just Adam. Mm -hmm. You're the owners of the earth, you know, for growing. And, and it, it, it's all in your face, all the stuff that they give you. Yeah. Well, what does Holy Mountain have to do with, with controlling seeds? Because I, I have my own perceptions of what I think it is, but I wonder if they're the same as yours. I'll, I'll do that in a blurb, because it, it'll take a whole 
a talk to go into the higher meanings of the mountain. And the pyramid, too, is just a, a perfected mountain, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Um, thank you very much. There's thanks, a lot of... Thanks for calling. You're welcome, Thanks for now. calling. Okay, well, we'll try and get Tim from North Carolina. Are you there, Tim? Hey, Hello, Alan, Tim. how you doing, buddy? Not so bad. Uh, just wanted to comment on one of those little 25-cent books I found. It's called, uh, I don't know if you, see if you ever heard of it, Scientific Answer to Human Relations. It's like 68 pages. Mm-hmm. It's from the University yeah, of Science. Hey, have you yeah. read that? Uh, I've read, uh, I think I've read that a while, a while back. There's a whole bunch along the same the topics, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it's full of everything you're talking about. I, it's just loaded with it. And I got one question about Revelations, uh, mm-hmm. if I could ask that. It's uh, Revelation yeah, six, Revelation sixteen. Uh, I mean twenty two sixteen. It says, uh, "I Jesus has sent mine angel uh, to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star." Uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't the bright and morning star of Venus? But it had another name for it, right? It's the, it's, it's the lover at night and the huntress in the morning. Uh, that's the key to it, mesoteric. And, and so it, it, it's a dual function, it, it, and of course that's high masonry too. And Albert Pike said, "Isn't it a strange name to give Lucifer the, the morning, the title, the morning star?" That's what so I thought it's, it was. It's, so they mean Jesus and Lucifer. It means that every person born has, has uh, at the beginning, uh, the choices to make what path they follow, uh, the evil path or the good path, okay. and that's what it basically means. So. Okay, I know your ending's coming up. Thanks, man. Thanks for calling. Well, that's it for tonight on our rainy Ontario and Lake in Canada. From Amy and myself, it's good night to me, your God, for your gods. Go with you.